Welcome to My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer, the podcast where we explore what it's like for a parent and for the kids trying to wade through the process of doing whatever it takes to make a good shot at becoming a pro gamer. Tonight is our first opportunity to talk with someone who actually is in an organization, the Pittsburgh Knights, that has some pro teams. He's also a college student, is involved in gaming at the University of Pittsburgh. So this is a great opportunity for us. Welcome, Shane. This is Joe and Max. Max has a little bit of a bug, though he's not going to be talking as much tonight. I'm sick. Thanks for having me on here. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I want to start with what's been going on in colleges, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey into... We'll start with the Pittsburgh Knights. How did you get involved with Pittsburgh Knights? So I actually started an esports organization at the University of Pittsburgh, and I moved on to get a lab designed and a few other things to start moving to progress their endeavors into the industry. I was reached out to by the owners of the Knights to see if I wanted to come on board with them and help grow them as well uh, after gaining some experience in doing it myself. And I started gaming when I was... I started playing World of Warcraft when I was like five years old and just grind it out and I started competing in there and that's like really what brought me into esports. But yeah, that's pretty much how I got into the Knights was I started it and they wanted to bring me on because I, I knew what I was doing. And what do you do? I'm a partnerships manager here. So anytime we bring on a new sponsor or anything like that, um, also I help the business development and finding sponsors as well. I create all the deliverables, help with the marketing and work with our players and staff and everything else like that to, you know, help promote and make the sponsorship flow. And I know you did that over the summer. Are you continuing to work with Knights over, you know, while you're also yeah. in school? Yeah, so I um I actually took a reduced uh, class load this semester. Uh, I went full-time with the Knights and went part-time with school. And that's probably how it's going to continue for a while at least because right now everything's running real smooth. I'm really enjoying my job and, and everything's looking up right now. So I still play for Pitt and I still constantly with their you know collegiate program and stuff like that. When you talk about the deliverables, can you give us an example of what you're talking about for you know, with you with the uh, new partners, what kind of things sure. are deliverable? Yeah, so deliverable is like an activation, like a marketing activation. So, um, like we have Totinos, right? So if they wanted to do like a special tweet or a tournament, like a tournament based in Pittsburgh or something like that, with just the team, I'd be the one providing them with the outline, the execution process, and I would be the one that actually carries out the execution on a sponsorship and stuff like that. I'm assuming this is a paid position. Ah, uh, yes. What's your major? Marketing with a minor in accounting. What year? Technically only supposed to be a sophomore, but my credits are for junior year pretty much. So I should be on track to graduate this normal time. Uh, that's awesome. Tell me a little bit the nature of the Pittsburgh Knights and what they do. I, I understand there are several different teams that play several different games. Yeah, so um, we're a professional esports organization. We have teams in PUBG, Hearthstone, Gwent, Smash Brothers, and Fortnite. And our Fortnite player actually won the first fall skirmish this season. You know, we're looking forward to expanding future games and multiple games, and but they all have their own niches and different things that we have to research before we can, you know, move into them. But that's pretty much like what we have here, and very competitive in the industry right now. So, and we're going at a good rate. I'm assuming that there are a few people that own the organization. There's two owners, two main owners, uh, James O'Connor and Rob Lee. So yeah, there are two main owners, our president and CEO. If the players are trying to make a living doing this, well, the, the team also has to try to make money. The way that uh, usually an organization makes money is through their sponsors and through marketing. Esports, I mean, it's just like a regular you know, sports team, if you think about it. The NFL, they make money from ticket sales and things like that. But really, it's the, the sponsorships that they get to promote other products. So that's sort of the same way. We follow the same format, same thing like football. We have media revenues and shares like that. And the only thing that we have different than they do is uh, like a virtual goods revenue type ideal, which would be like a skin in the game that we would get a rev share from. Not the traditional skin in the game when people talk about. Yeah, no. So like, yeah, it'd be We're like um, virtual skins. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be like um, like if you're playing PUBG, there's a Knights hoodie that you could have uh, bought during PGI, and it would have been like a revenue share or something like that. 
who comes up with those kind of marketing opportunities? When it comes to like a revenue share of a skin of an inside, like inside of a game or something, it's usually the game developer. Um, we really don't have a say in it. Depends if they want to even do it in the first place. But when it comes to sponsors and creating deliverables, I'm usually the one that works with a few of our you know, members of our team. And we also usually work if they have like a marketing department or a marketing company that they go through, we usually go through them as well. And you know, we just partner up and figure out what's best fit for both sides. What are you finding is your most effective avenue for marketing the Pittsburgh Knights right now? Well, I mean, like generally it's like a NASCAR, right? So NASCAR has a bunch of sponsors on their car and that's kind of what we go for. So it, it's never usually the prize pool. It's always the sponsors. So like if what we put on our jerseys or Twitter, you know, different ones that we might not even announce that we have stuff like that. So it, it's usually the um, placement approach okay. which is what brings the most revenue. The sponsors, they only care if you're actually reaching an audience. Right. That's why we bring on streamers as well, because streamers have a wide and broad audience that might not even just be competitive side. It might be uh, entertainment or something like that. And, you know, like live events, that's another stream where that's, people can see and view it for the sponsor to show, you know, value. For example, like we were in Austin, Texas, right? You would be able to see our sponsors in person, plus on stream, uh, on Twitter and many different avenues of social media where they'd be able to see and get promoted in different ways. What's the best way to uh, reach in your audience? Yeah, um, Twitter, for sure. Uh, there's nothing that compares to it in my eyes. We could post videos there. I mean, you get like, if you post a YouTube video on your YouTube channel, you could put a minute of it, you know, straight to your Twitter and it counts as a, a YouTube view, actually. So in Twitter, you can ask specific people. It, it's retweeted and it can hit, you know, more and more and more. And the, the reach is actually insane of what you can possibly have. And I think like Twitter has all different types of integration that you put onto it, you know, giveaways, announcements, new sponsors, new teams, placements. You can also have that one-on-one -on -one connection without blowing up everyone. So if they have like notifications on, you just reply to one person, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't get it. You can also get like that intimacy with like your, your viewers and your fans and stuff like that by being able to connect with them on that level as well. Do you have any streamers in particular, the, the kind of your rock stars? Yeah, um, we have a, a streamer named Learn. She joined us when she wasn't, you know, huge or anything. And then she eventually grew to be, she has like two or 3,000 consistent uh, concurrent viewership now every stream she has and so she's kind of leading the pack and you know growing at a strong rate and still supporting us at the same time do you recruit streamers how did you find her she actually joined before i did and rob recruited her and you know sometimes you see potential in them like based off their their content the way they act other than that we also look at you know the hard facts and stuff like that like how many viewers they have their followers their concurrent the minutes watched by people things like that but really a lot of it's based off personality and if we think they can grow and stuff like that I'm guessing they don't have to be local. No, um, she's actually located in uh, California. So uh, we have streamers from all over the world and country. Even some of our pro players are not from this country as well. When you have a streamer, are they exclusive to you or can they stream for others as well? Yeah, they are exclusive to the Knights. I, I mean, if they want to leave or something, they're not you know, forced to stay. Right, but they can't like do that. two at the same time. Not esports organizations, no. When you say not esports organizations, when, when, when could they do that? If they're like working with us, they couldn't like go stream for like NRG or Envious. But if they want to do like a charity stream for like Extra Life or if they get their uh, own personal sponsor or something like that, like we're not going to stop them from doing that um, as long see. as they're not helping like a direct competitor. So what's the benefit of someone streaming for you guys over a competitor? I mean, like how do you, is it just that like, you, you got to some, you discovered someone first and I mean, that's them? part of yeah, that's part of it. Um, you know, some people want, you know, sponsorship opportunities because they might not know how to get it themselves or things like that. They might not have the connections. Some look for exposure and some just actually look for like a place that they, they have a surrounding like people to hang out with, you know, and things like that. Uh, like one of our streamers, she'll ask the Discord chat if anyone wants to play with her, you know, when she's streaming and stuff like that. It's like an outlet, you know, 
for multiple avenues to either support them even more and indirectly it supports us as well or you know they're just looking for a place each esports organization is different some you know pay streamers some don't depending on like their size and their part in their organization actually some people go from pro to streamer and they'll just stay with the organization i don't know if you guys know who soda poppin is but soda poppin actually had a esports organization called northern gaming and he uh, sold it to nrg so he has part probably equity in the company as well so he stays as under uh, their umbrella you know their numbers when we, when we have streamers we use their numbers for sponsors and show that this is part of our umbrella and that we can use this for reach and get more revenue because we have a further expansion and stuff like that Max is nodding his head. Yes. How many esports organizations are there out there that that are similar to Pittsburgh Knights? There's thousands of organizations out there, um, but I wouldn't classify most of them as pro until you're paying your players or paying for their travel and actually offering full support, and you have a staff behind you helping you. I don't really see them as um, a pro team. Pro-wise, there's probably about 20 to 30 in each region that are actually like to be considered a pro in one game or another because they might have a tier one team in one game, but like a tier three team in another. I would consider about 20 to 30 uh, in each region being, you know, Asian, European and North American. Is it enough that they don't need to have a secondary income or, or, a, or even a primary income? Is this a supplement um, or is this well, the whole thing? It, it honestly depends on each game. Games that have... Um, opportunity with higher viewership and sustainability somewhat with prize pool and other things uh, and, or that are like hot on the market like Fortnite, right? Like every sponsor wanted you to have a Fortnite team, for example. So maybe those people get paid more than other professional players. Like for example, like Hearthstone is a, a pretty low paying esport, but it's based off RNG because it's a card game. So it's unpredictable whether they're going to win, whether they're going to be successful, whether you're going to be able to market them well, because they might be, you know, the best player in the world like last year, but the meta shifts and now they're one of the worst example so it's a lot more unknowns and things like that so it all depends what game you play in the viewership and the opportunities available set forth by the uh, i guess the game developer hearthstone is your game right uh yes yep so you're sure. saying you didn't make a lot of money playing hearthstone uh no not professionally no <laughs> um i made a decent bit in college though um, oh yeah yeah and i mean like coaching is a big thing for hearthstone yeah. so there are multiple avenues for them to make uh, cash but yeah it's not the best to get into unless you're like the best player in the world like there's a guy named just saying he just broke the record for the longest win streak. He went like 9-0 and in four different tournaments and just took the tournaments by storm. Nice. I'd love to hear a little bit about your college experience with Hearthstone. You said that you did okay there. My first season, I played my freshman year of actually being in college, so like last uh, fall. And um, I found, it was actually crazy how I found my teammates. Blizzard has a thing where you can see nearby players in your vicinity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, you typically have to be in like a like a hundred foot radius, and they ended up being like two doors down from me. Uh, and the two of them played Hearthstone, and I knew about Tespa, and they had never heard of it. So I went and actually knocked. <laughs> I went and knocked on their door and um, just asked them and explained the situation and everything that was going on. And they thought it was a cool opportunity. And my my one teammate actually is uh, pretty good. He made it onto academy team uh, called Kyoto Esports, and he's still with them actually. We ended up placing top eight in the Eastern Region. Then we went to regional playoffs and we made it to round two. So we finished top eight total, and we got a little bit of scholarship money for it. So. Oh, nice. It was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, top four would have made it to California. Uh, we had to win one more round, but uh, we lost to Rutgers, which, ah. is, which actually has a pro on it on their team. Oh, really? So, yeah, he, I, he's a really, really smart individual. Uh, a lot of respect for him, too. Uh, his name's Knoblord. He's a really good player. Knoblord? Yep. Okay, how do you spell that? N-O-B-L-O-R-D. He was, uh, he was like rank one on ladder last month, I think, or in the recent few months, he was like rank one on ladder. The way he dives into the game is very analytically, and he he really gets behind the math behind the game more than just like gut feeling or gut play. What is an academy team? You said one of the players got onto an academy yeah. team? My, my teammate, actually, I was on that team for a little bit too, but I decided to part ways and pursue the business aspect of esports. 
when you're on an academy team, you're not the pro roster. So if there's like a tournament or whatever, we're not the ones that are getting flown out to these events unless we qualify through the open qualifiers, which we only did like once or twice. But we help practice with them. We help train them. We help do practice runs, give them input on different decks and different metas and counter cues. And we pretty much help them with all their analytics and we're the bench team. So if like one of them gets sick or can't make it, you know, we'll fill in and stuff like that. Okay. So we're like the subs. Yeah. The so Steelers have a practice squad that they practice against. Yep, we're like string. Like we're like the second string. We'll practice against other organizations that might not be at the event, or even some that are, uh, depending on like what game or something. But like for Hearthstone, like it doesn't really matter who you are. We can you know play against you unless you're like a big competitor to us, and we want to. We're f mainly focusing you to like uh, counter you. But uh, usually you could practice with whoever. So they would practice with us, and then they would go against other competitors who might be at the event and have actual practice groups. Like I know one of our players plays with a player from Liquid. Do you guys watch what's going on college esports teams? Because there are so many of them now. Yeah, so it's actually very interesting. Um, the collegiate scene was born before colleges accepted it. So there's a company called TESPA. That's T-E-S-P-A. Yeah, they're the ones that held the tournament, I think. Yeah, they held the, the Overwatch, but they're in direct partnership with Blizzard and all Blizzard games. So every Blizzard game that they have has a, an opportunity, except Diablo, to win scholarship money and have a uh, team with. But they also do Rocket League now as well. So they were around before collegiate esports was even a thing. And now that colleges are starting to accept it and actually giving scholarships and making a real team and stuff like that. If you're a D1 school, Tespa has a varsity league that you apply for. But you can only have one team from that school make the varsity league. So typically, if the school doesn't support it, the clubs will determine who makes it. But if you're getting scholarship, typically there's tryouts and a manager and a coach that will watch you through tryouts and pick the best players to participate in it. But if you don't make the varsity team, you can play in the open, which has pretty much the same prize pool as the varsity. It has the same viewership and the same publicity and everything. In the future, I, I'm assuming that's going to change and varsity's going to be like sports are now. Varsity's be way better, with the higher prize pool and everything. But right now, it's pretty much the same, just gives multiple opportunities to teams. What difference does it make if it's varsity or club? They're trying to force kind of uh, scholarships to be a thing because you have to be D1 already. That's limiting the pool already. To who can get in uh why, and why only, would you have to be d1 it's the same thing now so if you play like football in college you have to be d1 to get a scholarship some d2 colleges uh colleges give it to you but it's never a full ride usually um in d3 you actually get nothing that, and that's um, just ncaa rule right yeah yep yep so um but if you're not part of the ncaa why would you give a crap what <laughs> the ncaa rules yeah, are so i think it's to to grow the scene better um right now there's no structure at all in collegiate esports so that's sort of what TESPA is setting in place. Like Ohio State just recently announced that they're going to spend a good amount of money and create like I think like a 10,000 square foot space or something like that for esports on their facility. And they're going to treat it just like a regular sport and they're going to put as much resources as they do into their football program as their esports program. So you're going to get these colleges that are giving full rides to each of the games and actually supporting the scene. So it's going to turn it like and typically it's like a D1 school that has the, you know, the value and the money to do it and the resources. So I guess this is a way to reward them and kind of make it like a real collegiate game and bring it more towards sports. This is definitely going to entice people to go to school, carry out their dreams. I mean, I, I, mean, I think it's good, and I, I do like the varsity and non-varsity idea, especially right now. Like, there's no prize pool difference, so I could be in a D3 school and still play against D1 schools, for example, the ones that don't get into the varsity league. I find it very interesting. I find it, I think it's, like, very fair and balanced right now. Does Fit have uh, varsity teams? Yeah, we sports? do. Or what uh, yeah, currently, TESPA only runs Blizzard games, but we also have uh, there's a company called Collegiate Star League that has League of Legends and a, a few other games like CSGO uh, and PUBG as well. So I've only played through TESPA. We have a varsity team for Hearthstone. We did not for Heroes of the Dorm, which is Heroes of the Storm, just they call it a dorm for the you know collegiate effect. Right. Um, we did have a Rocket League team. Uh, this year, I'm not too sure. Uh, I haven't really engaged. Like Collegiate esports at Pitt is really weird because there's not one central esports club. Each game has its own club. 
So Hearthstone has its own club, League of Legends has its own club, Rocket League own club, which is what I was also working on was unifying the whole entire university and its mm-hmm. branch campuses as well. It's a lot of work to get different clubs that are already out there. And some might not want to merge and some do and things like that. But I do know that we had like two or three because our League of Legends team and our Dota team were both varsity level in Collegiate Star League. So but I don't want to speak that for like sure. Of course, I mean, when I was starting at Pitt, you know, that's the first thing that they said to me. They're like, oh, this will never go through because Title Nine. What people don't really realize is there's girls-only leagues. I know a lot of Hearthstone pros that are female. Actually, and then one of the pro Rocket League players for Splice is female as well. Also, for Cloud9, they have um, a Rainbow Six Siege player, a pro player, who uh, her name is Goddess. So it, it's not like it's like not a thing. You could be any gender, you know, sex, whatever, and play. It would be easier for schools that don't have Division One football teams. Oh, yeah, for sure, yep. Because if you're D1 and you have football, then that takes so many scholarships that you don't have more scholarships to pass out. And I know at a school called Maryville, um, who's probably like the best school in the country to go for esports, uh, for any game that, that is. And I know they, they even have multiple rosters for every game. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be soon uh, female leagues going and uh, male leagues. And then I don't see that ever being an issue either in esports, collegiate at, at least. Well, that's a really good point that I never even thought of, that Maryville is best for esports, for teams, I'm guessing you're saying, for players. Is that uh, right? Yeah, is... yeah they, um, I actually know they're, the person who pretty much runs it. His name is uh, Clerky. And he also works for United. Talked to him a few times about collegiate esports. He's also the one, he helped me a little bit when introducing it to Pit to, you know, merge everything. His Overwatch team literally has, like, masters, master players, like, top tier, top 500 players on it. And the subs as well. Their League of Legends team came in fourth the finals last season. They've come in first multiple times in other events, though. They are definitely one of the top tier teams when it comes to overall collegiate organizations. Where is Maryville? Missouri. It's something I never really considered that there might be uh, top 10 or top 20, let alone the best. Yeah, and um, I mean, I feel like the reason Maryville is like really set in stone is like, Clarky's been a manager for United for a few years now. So he's been in the scene, so he knows how it's supposed to run. He runs like a professional organization, pretty much. He really builds upon it and stuff like that. And I, mean, I think that's how most of them that have the scholarships, they have someone been involved in esports at least once in their life, or at least know the scene really well to where they can get the connections and resources that they need to, to pursue it. And the ones who don't are usually the ones that don't understand the games or anything like that because they have no one to teach or explain it or anyone mm-hmm. willing to take on the you know the challenges of starting it up because it is a lot of work it, it takes more than one person this might be something that would be fun for our listeners for us to put on our website if we can figure out how to do it at you know, a top 20 list schools based on their esports program oh yeah you could definitely do it it take a little bit of research but i mean i'm pretty sure i mean i have the resources and you guys definitely do too and figuring out a top 20 wouldn't be that hard uh and actually pretty interesting to look at i don't think it's ever been promoted or you know publicized like that before max is nodding his head that he thinks that's a good idea i'm speaking for him uh, max is suffering a little bit from a cold so he's not speaking it sounds to me like you really enjoy working for the knights oh uh, yeah if, best job if, in the world if it's viable if it's financially feasible it sounds to me like you'd love to stay on with them once you graduate yeah i uh, i plan to um 100 the way things are looking the way things are moving uh hopefully the opportunity will always you know be there uh, in the future so uh, I, I do see this as like a long-term career path there's another way to be a pro in esports, even if you're not a player uh, or a streamer, if you get into a good esports organization. Yeah, I mean, and there's a there's a website called Hitmarker Jobs. Um, if you just Google that, it has uh, hundreds upon hundreds of jobs available in esports, whether it's like from the tournament organizer side, from endemics, which would be like, you know, like Twitch or Coursera, you know, things like that. Or, you know, whether it be pretty much everything to do with esports, you know, there's a bunch of job titles. And they go from like volunteer work to paid positions, part time, things like that. And 
or internships as well. Okay. I think people who take the time and do like a volunteer job to actually learn the industry, you know, from a business aspect, it's uh, it's really well good for your resume in the future and helps you be more desirable, I guess. Like, I mean, like anyone can come in there and say like, oh yeah, I'm qualified. But if you actually have proof of, you know, like grinding out the work, things like that, it looks really well. That's really interesting. Could you repeat the name of that website? Yeah, it's called hitmarkerjobs.com. I like going on there. Sometimes I like send it to my friends who are looking for a job in esports or something. And there's actually like, uh, I forget what college it was, but they were looking for a coach to coach their teams uh, and like help set up schedules and introduce everything to the, the you know, students, stuff like that. There's tons of jobs out there. When you say help set up schedules, you're talking about for each each game some games like Hearthstone East Coast would always play on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. every week unless you were on stream then they would give you a different time but they would message you individually about that for non-Tespa games which would be like your League of Legends, stuff like that. Uh, it's up to the organization slash, you know, club or whatever uh, to schedule their times for their players. How do your parents feel? Are they very supportive of this career choice? They're really confused, but I mean, I've been, like I was saying, <laughs> I, was, I was playing World of Warcraft when I was five, right? So like right. I grew up playing online MMO and gaming all the time. And, you know, I always told my, you know, I was going on in my games and stuff like that. And when I told them I started competing, you know, they were like, this isn't real, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, after you show them and after you travel to your first event and compete and stuff like that, and then, you know, if you're like on stream or something or interview or things like that, it becomes a lot more real to them. And then when they start seeing job opportunities and, you know, you're actually like doing something and, you know, there's ways to make money in the industry and you have, you're able to show it. I mean, they become a lot more comfortable. I mean, my mom's always been like super supportive of it, no matter what, even if she didn't know what was going on. And, you know, my dad would be the one that had like questions and everything, but uh, both of them are like really supportive of the opportunity and things like that. I think it's I think it's really important that uh, parents that care enough to question what you're doing. Because, you know, if anybody that's wanting to make a career in esports, because this didn't exist not too long ago, and if someone didn't, if a parent that doesn't know anything about this, uh, and most people still don't, didn't question it, I would feel like they were maybe kind of slacking in their duties as a parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? I mean, it'll become a thing of the norm eventually because it's rapidly growing. It's becoming very popular in all aspects. I mean, you have Ninja playing with, you know, music artists and football players and basketball players and things like that. And the more it's like socially brought up, uh, the more comfortable people will become with it and more recognized it will be as like an actual career. What game aspects. does Ninja play? Uh, he plays Fortnite right now. Uh, okay. He actually started in Halo, though, uh, a really long time ago. And then he went to H1Z1, then PUBG, and Fortnite. The Pittsburgh Knights, you said you make videos, right? Yeah, we make YouTube videos. We do some content that way. We also make, you know, Twitter tweets and graphics and things like that. Different ways to size us and different revenue type ideals and marketing aspects. Is it a mix of publicity, advertising, but also entertainment videos? Or is yes. it all publicity or all, all advertising? But well, when we're doing advertising, the best way to advertise something is to make the person watching it enjoy it, right? Yeah, make so, the content entertaining. Yeah. So you always want to incorporate like something fun, unique, different, and something not boring. Like you don't want to like shove an ad down th someone's throat. You know, they're like, oh, I'm not going to watch this and leave or you're not going to like the content and not return. So, you know, you always just want to make it something different, something enjoyable. And that's what's the fun part about my job is, you know, I come up with a whole bunch of different, you know, deliverable ideas. And like we were talking to one company and like I designed a collegiate pop-up shop. Like they would have a tent pop up and we'd have like different things going on with their brand. And, you know, they could come interact. Maybe we had like a pro player there and things like that. And we'd be able to tweet about it, videotape it, release a YouTube video after, you know, do a giveaway or two and stuff like that. So like there's tons of different ways you can incorporate esports into the everyday life. Do you guys ever get any local you know, Pittsburgh sports teams to join in a play and, and do some kind of stream? Yeah, or, we, or... yeah we, um, we actually worked with uh, our punter, Jordan Berry. 
he came in for a night and he streamed and played with Vox and uh, Rob Leonix, uh, our CEO, and another player, Kramer, who lives in the Czech Republic. Um, and he played with them on stream for a little bit. And then he got off stream and went and played Super Smash Bros uh, on the GameCube with our pro player named uh, Abate. And we record the whole thing. We made, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook posts with the video and we put it on YouTube and promoted it a bit. And, you know, he even posted it a few days ago, actually on his Instagram, you know, it was just a, a fun get together and, you know, we played and had fun. So, Can you give me any indication, like some kind of metrics that you might go to in terms of the growth of the nights? Like how, how is it growing in audience or anything like that? Uh, our Twitter is definitely the fastest growing thing that we have. I mean, this past month, we've almost went up like 10,000 followers, I think, or like five, maybe like eight. And it's definitely our fastest growing because it's the fastest way we connect with people. And it reaches the most amount of people as well. Our brand is definitely growing really well. 8,000, you said, in the last month. New followers. Yep. Yep. That's fantastic. So what are you up to now? Uh, 22,000. Wow, that's huge growth in the last month. Yep. And how do you account for that? We did a partnership, uh, a little activation. We did a little giveaway, and you know. We promoted it a little bit and it got a lot of traction, a lot of retweets, a lot of, you know, comments and uh, things like and likes and stuff. So it just, you know, one person retweets or likes or comments and 10 or 15 more people see it and then they look into us, they see our teams, then they get interested in us and they'll follow us. Uh, our Discord just reached 5,000 members as well. Um, nice. So it's it's all, we're building fans for sure. Okay. Do you hear that, Max? We got to do some work on Twitter to promote the podcast. I yeah. Twitter Twitter is the way to go, website. man. Yep. Well, I'm sure, going to be talking Twitter. to you more offline about how to promote our yeah, podcast. Yeah, for sure. Using there Twitter. is a science to it. Yeah, there is a science. So <laughs> Yeah, because I, I love the space. I love that Max is really passionate about this. And he's a good streamer. He's entertaining when he's streaming Overwatch. And it's high-level play, but also good commentary. We need to get the word out so more people can appreciate what he's doing here. Honestly, I'll be honest. It scared me when I heard out my family watched my screen, my stream. I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No. I, Did they hear me say I, something embarrassing? <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have that too, and I would get a text from my mom like, like watch your mouth or, uh, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, I'll get a random text, or she's like, uh, like "Just who I, I am, mom." Yeah, and I used to, I, I still do sometimes, I a 24-hour charity stream for Extra Life, and, you know, I, like, I, it was more than just my mom watching, like, my mom, I could say sorry, but, like, my grandma would watch for my charity stream, or, like, <laughs> my, my uncle aunts and, and uncles. Watch me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so, like, did I make a cool play so, you know, I don't get made fun of or something, you know, but. Worth the anonymity. Yeah, exactly. It, well, you know, but that's the thing. Yeah. You, you got to know, appreciate that this is the environment that you're living in. And it's, it's kind of like if your grandmother went to a comedy club and you're a comedian, you're, you're, you don't, you can't just clean it up for her. Yeah, you can't just cater to everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds for sure. terrifying. <laughs> that sounds worse, and, honestly. You know, like, yeah. think of it if you're George Carlin or Bo, or Bo Burnham, and then suddenly your grandma walks in. It's like, oh, oh no. You're in the middle of seven words you can't say on television. Um, on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and um you get uh, i mean i got over it um pretty quick and it wasn't bad but yeah that, that's always something that's fun and that's actually like interesting too because like sponsors look at that stuff too some don't want red blood games some don't like swearing some don't like you know certain things and it actually matters uh how you act publicly and things and the, i mean this industry you know grew up kind of on like toxicity and like young gamers and things and this industry is very young and it's ran by very young people so it's like a new environment that people are just starting to you know get into. It's funny because you know what it reminds me of. It's kind of like if uh, if South Park were to start the esports movement, and this is how everybody spoke exactly. online. And and but Trey Parker and Matt Stone, when they created South Park, they said, "Well, let's do it how fourth graders actually talk." I think maybe they're thinking of seventh or eighth graders. They're thinking fifth grade. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah. it's also you get the same kind of thing with new hot startup companies that don't have the professional human resources handbooks put in place and you end up with toxic environments like we had at Uber and we had at Enron. And if the company survives, then professional managers step in and they make it less toxic. And some people might consider it a little bit more tame if they're looking for a real <laughs> exciting job where anything goes. I mean, you know, then maybe you go to be a stand-up comedian, but most professional workplaces, you have to be careful. But when, when you're uh, streaming for your audience and your audience is in most cases say for example if you're streaming a game that's 17 to 23 year old males well generally you don't have to worry about those things but if you're going for a more general audience then I, i'm not talking about the language I, you still have to I, I think in any case people are starting to learn that you have to be very careful don't make sexist comments don't make homophobic comments don't just make i try to be more politically correct and and yep. not stupid yeah. right i know yeah, and that- uh one streamer named tim the Tatman. he actually has family watched him like groups of friends yeah, at a yep. time yeah i've watched him for a long screen. time when you have a few followers then you might have to make a judgment call but when you've got thousands of people following a stream you really well, yeah. can't well i mean uh like if you actually look at ninja as an example he um i mean this is like great for him but when he first started streaming i don't know if there's anyone as toxic as he was there's like a clip out there of him playing h1z when he's like you know f you blah, blah blah and he starts screaming but now that he's in fortnite and he he realizes that he has an audience that's much younger than what it used to be and an audience that like families watch and you know people look up to him now and you know he stopped swearing on stream he stopped getting mad he stopped yelling and uh, he really changed the way he acted uh, in front of the camera and that's something that people have to be careful about, too. And you said that there's clips that are still out there. The stuff doesn't disappear. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, he's gotten, like, feedback on, like, you know, you know, people will try going after him. But, like, um, you know, people change, though. I mean, like, that's what his audience was, though. His audience enjoyed that. It wasn't until he started acquiring a younger one that he changed. And he did it out of respect for the industry and you know, the kids and everything. And everything's working fine. And that's great. But then, you know, you look at the director of Guardians of the Galaxy was fired because of jokes that he tweeted 10 years ago. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that's and ridiculous. So it is. It is ridiculous. And they weren't great jokes, but they were jokes. And people 10 years later took them seriously, showed them to his employers, and they canned him. And even when everybody stood up for him and said, hey, this is a stand-up guy, those were jokes. He's not that kind of person. He was just joking about that. It didn't matter. They couldn't save his job. If any of the kids listening to the podcast that want to be a pro gamer, you just got to keep that in mind. If you're streaming, this stuff can be saved and potentially could be used against you somehow down the road. So you just got to be careful. Uh, Swearing is one thing. I think that most people find that in this environment like okay that'd probably be okay yeah, it's, pretty, but, it's but, pretty normal it depends yeah. how you use it right like depends if you're like yeah. attacking someone or if you're just like you know complaining yeah. about your day or a game or something words are the ironic ones yeah. ironic ones we're just using them as jokes like oh frick right <laughs> so yeah exactly and and that's why i mean our our podcast has been very clean because we have people that of all ages that listen to this some of the people who find this most fascinating that have approached me about it were our uh, retirees or close to retired i actually had a, a woman come to me she knew who i was and and he'd gotten a blast email promoting the new website and she came out and she started asking how max was doing you know, how is your son doing? Is you know, how is how is esports going for him? And I had never talked to her about esports, but she said this it was fascinating. We want everybody to be comfortable listening to it. And, and generally, there's when we're doing this kind of work, we don't need to <laughs> go there. But Max is pointing to the clock. He has an engagement that he has to get to. I really appreciate your time you're sharing with us and answering our questions. It's been a pleasure talking to you about this stuff, and uh, hopefully, we'll have 
more opportunities to hear more from you as your organization continues to grow. This has been Shane Dennis speaking with Max and Joe on the podcast. My kid wants to be a pro gamer. You can follow Max streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Max Dementio. That's Max Dementio. That's Max with dimension without the N, and there's no space in between. Max Dementio. Why don't you tell us where people can find you, Shane? Only on Twitter now. Twitter.com slash SVDennis4. That's the best way anymore. And the Knights? Twitter.com slash NiceGG is the best way to you know follow and support us as well. NiceGG. And what does the GG stands for? Uh, good gaming. Actually. Good gaming. All right. Once again, thank you for listening. And until next time, have fun.